Welcome to the Bonfire. I am your host, Morgan, aka Bon Diesel, and this is a podcast about video game news, reviews, rumors, and speculation. This week, we'll be covering upcoming game showcases, Star Wars Outlaws is looming, Steam Awards weirdness, and much more. A few things before we get started. On YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment down below. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review on Spotify or iTunes. A special thank you to all of the patrons and YouTube members, including Hassan, YouTubes, Neuronex, PK, Cage Nephilim, and Horseman. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, consider becoming a member on YouTube, subscribing over on Twitch, or joining my Patreon or Ko-Fi at the link in the description. Gaming news. We're going to start off with Xbox. Uh, we have a likely developer direct or some kind of showcase coming up here within the next week, potentially, or shortly thereafter. Uh, there's rumors shooting around uh, specifically from one individual who predicted, I think, like the last couple Nintendo directs. So one way or the other, these people get some kind of inside knowledge. There was also some note that this individual may just be uh, kind of spamming these guesses and then deleting all the ones that are wrong. And so there's something to consider there. Um, but it seems likely. I even talked about this last year, I'll say, as my dad joke, that uh, we had showcases pretty early in the year last year. And this year, we know even less about what's coming. So... It wouldn't surprise me at all if we end up getting um, showcases from all three platforms in the first two or three months at least, and probably the first month or two, because the problem is if these platforms do a showcase in late March, that's only a couple weeks away from a couple weeks, a couple months away from June, and even though E3 is dead, rip. You know, we still have Summer Games Fest, and even if one of the companies doesn't align with Jeff, they still kind of seem to do their stuff in that general, you know, June, maybe July window. So, for Xbox, um, I'm pretty excited for it. Um, I want to get a release date for Hellblade 2 or Sinuous Saga. Um, I think we need to get some information about whatever else they have coming out next year. Um, I, I suspect... They're going to have a pretty solid year. I would guess it's going to be similar to this year, uh, where I think Forza Motorsport and Hi-Fi Rush were the highlights for most people. For me, Starfield was definitely a highlight. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see games kind of in the rough tier of that, with likely Hellblade 2 being like the big kind of um, blockbuster game for them. I'm... Uh, really, really um, hoping, and I've been speculating for quite a while at this point that um, I think that uh, Hellblade is going to become like Microsoft's God of War, uh, and in some capacity could even be better, especially from a storytelling perspective or character perspective, obviously depending on your kind of personal takes. Uh, I know that Kratos is quite... Um, meaningful to a lot of people and has a lot of history um, as someone who played all of the original games um, I don't really know him as the sad dad he is now uh, but I still respect what they've done with that franchise 
Uh, one of the big rumors is that Double Fine will be releasing or releasing details about their next big project. Um, you know, we haven't had anything from them since Psychonauts 2, and that was kind of a passion project that was literally being fan-funded before Double Fine got purchased by Microsoft. And then, you know, the, the story has gone uh, where it's gone since then, and it has gone pretty well. Uh, Psychonauts 2 was a really well-regarded game uh, in Xbox didn't get any credit for it because it was a multi-platform game because that's what it was originally. Uh, they raised money for it to be that when it was their own project. And that was something they stayed with even after being acquired. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do, especially as it will almost certainly be a uh, an exclusive to Xbox and PC. So uh, they're going to continue building that resume and they're going to continue building that catalog on game pass not just of third-party games that will come and go and so people I, I don't think are as excited about third-party things as they once were because they know that they probably will leave eventually um, but you know the more that they beef up that first party lineup that you get forever on game pass it'll be good for xbox so i'm hoping for a show really really soon it wouldn't surprise me at all for them to set up the rest of this year and uh, hopefully a couple surprises uh, i would like to hear something from some of these teams we haven't heard anything from in quite a while the other uh, bit of news is that uh, walmart is selling a series s toaster uh, if you saw pictures of this and assumed it was a joke it's not and it even burns a Xbox symbol uh, very lightly into your toast. So if you've got your Xbox cooler already, then I guess go for your Xbox toaster too. Why not? Uh, the last thing about Xbox is that, and we could see this at a showcase, is that there is, there's there been rumors and there are rumors of a, pa uh, a Banjo-Kazooie uh, kind of... Uh, reboot in some capacity or making a new game in that series uh, a series that was really heralded back in the day especially in my childhood uh, it would be very interesting to see a modern take on that game um, do they kind of do the old school kind of keep it what it was but do like a newer version of it do they kind of take it like a ratchet and clank direction and try to make it like hyper you know visually impressive while also retaining some of kind of the old school attitude the mechanics and stuff of that series we'll have to wait and see i'm just kind of generally interested in that uh, because it's a name i just remember even though i wasn't like a big fan of the games i think i played some of them i honestly couldn't tell you though so there's that Moving on to PlayStation, uh, there's rumors about them having some kind of uh, showcase themselves. Again, not surprising at all. Um, especially interesting for PlayStation uh, because for a couple reasons. First, we don't know of any big games they have coming this year. The Wolverine game from Insomniac was the one that people seemed the most sure was going to happen. And according to those leaks and to the lack of information they've given us it seems like that's not a thing until 2025 at the earliest so 
it kind of leaves it leaves it up in the air. There is the Final Fantasy VII uh, Rebirth, I believe. The second part of that remake is coming out, which is technically a third-party game, but it's only going. It's going to be exclusive to PlayStation on console, and it is going to come on PC eventually. Um, with these deals, it's always interesting that they don't just come out and say that PlayStation is paying them to only put it out on PlayStation for six months or a year. Um, you know, PlayStation makes it pretty obvious that they you know they could release their games day and date on pc they choose not to because they want those games uh, to sell consoles which is fine that's a big part of their business um but it is funny how the third party exclusives always kind of dance around that and um you know sony doesn't ever just come out and say it but it's at least to me it's fairly obvious that's why we don't see their games on pc uh for to three years sometimes uh, if it was six months or a year i would understand that maybe they're taking that time to port it properly the pc uh, but the fact that it's literally multiple years uh, before we see it on pc in the case of the last of us 2 uh, we're gonna see a remaster of that game before we even see it released on pc in the first place which I think what's probably notable is there's a really good chance that the improvements they've made in the remaster are almost certainly uh, the improvements they've been doing for the PC version and they're making all the ones that will work on PlayStation 5 as part of this remaster but that's fine that's how they roll um, so a showcase makes a lot of sense probably in January or February for PlayStation almost certainly after Xbox it seems like they've definitely taken that stance of not being first um, at least sometimes and almost certainly in this year uh, when it comes to like this like winter showcase um, I, I don't think it really matters I've done a lot of talking lately about how I you know PlayStation and Sony are obviously uh, Xbox and PlayStation are still obviously competitors in the biggest ways but they may not be seeing each other as directly competitive as they once did. Um, I, I really think we see the, the big three going very different directions with what they're trying to do with their companies. And while they're obviously still competing, I'm not going to do the Xbox copium and be like, well, actually, they're doing different things. They're still competing, but they are going different directions and, and i think that's going to be especially interesting like 10 years from now uh and i'll be curious to see how we get there and what it looks like when we do uh, for nintendo the only big thing with them is the most obvious we're expecting a switch 2 announcement fairly imminently with that there's been rumors flying around now that the switch 2 or whatever they end up calling it is probably just basically going to be a switch pro um, to the extreme, at least to Nintendo's extreme, whatever they consider that. Um, the Basically, it sounds like that there was a legit pro version of the console that was due to be released at some point, and they decided just to go to the next gen or to like substantially upgraded hardware rather than like slightly uh, upgraded hardware um the interesting thing about it though is that over the last couple years there's been some leaks and rumors about the exact chipset the nvidia hardware that the switch 2 is going to use and there's some thought that the switch 2 has been kind of sitting and waiting 
um, until they see the Switch's sales drop enough to feel comfortable putting out a new console. And if that sounds uh, hard for you to believe, it really shouldn't, because they do that with their games. Um, many of the games they release, uh, there's multiple examples, I believe the uh, the, the remaster of the Metroid game this year, as well as a few others, and potentially the Mario game, uh, and even Tears of the Kingdom, they said, was done a long time ago, but they literally just took time to polish it. Um, it's, it's a pretty common practice for Nintendo to literally be ahead in their release schedule, which is crazy um, and kind of unheard of in the industry these days, where we see a lot of games getting rushed out before they're even done because the platforms and the publishers... Uh, need something to sell so um i'm i'm gonna buy whatever this is i haven't had a nintendo uh, piece of hardware since my game boy color so i've obviously missed out on multiple decades uh of of you know really important games and so i'm excited uh to get into that and hopefully play uh, some of those and to probably get my daughter into it a little bit i bet my wife will play a little as well um I am hesitant though because when the Switch came out, it was on hardware, it was on mobile hardware that was already a couple years old and arguably outdated. And because there's a really good chance this new hardware has been finalized already for a year or more, and that even when it was finalized, it was probably some older tech from some of the rumors and leaks that have happened, I think the Switch 2 is going to come out and it's going to be like already outdated and at launch i bet they'll be able to get some older third-party games and even some of their first-party games to run at 60 fps and to look really good on their screens but i bet within two or three years especially their first-party games uh, will probably kind of look bad again as they do on the switch uh, I bet they're going to struggle with FPS issues and all kinds of stuff. And, and I know there's rumors of since they're using NVIDIA uh, tech that it's probably going to have DLSS and stuff like that. DLSS is interesting because at the the kind of resolutions they're going to be working with on a, on a small screen, at least in a mobile mode, assuming that's what they're doing again, which I'm sure they are, it's it will help. I just don't think it's going to be the key to, you know, Nintendo stepping out of two, being two gens behind all the time, because uh, it's probably not going to be. Um, people kind of brushed off the rumors that seem substantiated that the next Switch is going to be as powerful as like a PS4 or an Xbox One. Um, some of the rumors were suggesting something closer to like a One X or PS4 Pro. But like that's not good like that's not impressive um I, I think it's really interesting how i understand that like i said before they're all going different directions there's no reason for nintendo to release significantly outdated hardware even if the goal is for it to be mobile because they're one of the richest companies in the world especially in the gaming industry and it wouldn't be that hard for them to put hardware in their systems that could downclock and drop a bunch of stuff to be reasonable to use mobile and then when docked unleash its full power and be maybe it's not going to be a series x or a ps5 but at least be a relatively modern and competent system in the right situations but it's 
probably cheaper for him not to do that. And people obviously don't buy Nintendo games or hardware for the power. They've proven that since the Wii. And no matter what this new system looks like, or, or no matter what it's spec like, it's probably going to sell over 100 million units, almost guaranteed. So, and I'll probably be one of them. So, call me a fool when I'm right, I guess. Uh, moving into some more general gaming news, uh, due to a Disney blog talking about some of their resort news, uh, we may have found out <laughs> that Star Wars Outlaws is getting a window, I believe, October and November of 2024. Uh, so this was kind of a funny story. Basically, uh, the the Disney like resort uh, website put out a blog about their you know some of their events and things that are going on and the wording of it it mentioned star wars outlaws because you're gonna need to remember that the characters and the story of outlaws is going to be part of the greater star wars lore which disney owns and um it's almost certain that i think it's k vess is the uh, the main character in this game you'll probably see an actor at disney in the star wars area walking around as k vess and you may even see them try to do maybe like a puppet for the little weird dog lizard thing they have. Um, and so that's kind of what I was predicting. I was hoping personally that we would see Outlaws maybe this summer. Um, I just want to play that game. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what the what the studio who did the Division 1 and 2 can do when they're, when they're not being forced to compete with Destiny. Uh, because this team is, is most of the same team as Division 1 and 2. Um, the Avatar game that just came out recently, which has gotten a lot of praise, especially for its graphics, it was basically a new team. There's a couple Division devs over there, but that was basically a ground-up new team. Uh, and so they don't really have that DNA from the Division 1 and 2 besides using the Snowdrop engine, where you know the Star Wars game is like a majority Division devs. And from conversations over the years and things like that, uh, there are devs there who love the looter shooter thing, like Yannick, who's currently the creative director of Division 2 and its ongoing content, loves looter shooters. It's, it's his thing. He he even told me that uh, I when I proposed them doing more of a single player game, he's like, that would be really cool. I don't want to work on that game. But I'm under the impression that that's not maybe a... Um, not everyone there feels that way. Uh, and there's even some rumors that the early concept of the division at all was to be kind of a mass effect style game uh, that looked a lot more like the trailer from 2013, where you were going to make choices. It was going to be more of like an RPG. You were going to make choices that affected the story and it wasn't going to be so focused on dark zone pvp and stuff like that and it wasn't going to be so obviously trying to compete with destiny but as ubisoft does it seems like they decided they wanted their own destiny and kind of pushed this franchise that direction where to this day with all of the world building especially in the first game but even in the second especially in the post-launch like, it's so obvious, at least to me, it seems obvious that that game was meant to be a more like single player, single player narrative focused game that got kind of forced to be a looter shooter um, because they just, especially in the first game, but in the second game as well, there's just so much depth to the lore and the world and the storytelling and the environment. Like, it's not 
a game like Destiny where you're just going point to point and just killing everything and clearing rooms and getting loot and stuff like that. You can play the division that way, but it doesn't seem like it's maybe meant to be. So again, I'm really curious to what Star Wars Outlaws is going to look like because I think we're going to see a game that was probably what a division game could have been like. Um, and with the division three coming one day and this team probably being the one who's going to do it, it would be really cool if outlaws does really well and people respond well to that formula because I don't ever expect the division to lose its looter roots entirely, but man, it would sure be nice if they were able to figure out a way to give us a story that we could be a part of and interact with and have a character that's interesting in but we'll have to wait and see that's a long way off so star wars outlaws late this year late fall probably very exciting very very excited for that game um, just looks really good uh, the new square enix ceo is going hard into ai if you don't remember i probably covered it last year their previous ceo who uh hit the dusty road uh was all about nfts a couple years ago and was pushing that really hard uh he was he's gone they brought in someone new everyone was kind of hoping that square enix who has these amazing properties and all of these great studios um but just can't seem to get it together um everyone was kind of hoping when the nft guy left uh whoever they replaced them with would be more focused on just making good games and apparently they aren't, they're super hyper-focused on AI. Now, it is worth considering these uh, comments that they made were during, I believe it was a um, an address to their stockholders. Um, it's kind of common knowledge at this point that uh, the stockholders of these publicly held gaming and tech companies wanna hear whatever the hot thing is right now. So NFTs, now AI. Um, AI is is making its way into the game development, whether people like it or not. Um, I hope it stays responsible. I hope it respects the artist and continues to make sure that um, art uh, that is made for these games and stuff and the writing for the games is not uh, done by non-humans. That's a pretty big request. I definitely have myself. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just weird seeing Square Enix drop the ball when you know they should be able to look across the you know the aisle um at capcom who's just been killing it with their remakes and their new games and basically everything they do has been going well even sega has been doing a pretty good job uh, even though they've been historically kind of a hot mess um so it's weird to see a company like square enix kind of do the ubisoft thing and be more worried about chasing trends and the hot word rather than like see who's being successful and who's doing this stuff right and um instead you know do what whatever they're doing so we'll see what old square enix is up to here in the next couple years uh steam had their uh award uh announced uh baldur's gate 3 pretty obviously wins game of the year for them um, I gave that my game of the year as well, and uh, so have uh, many others. Um, and that shouldn't be uh, surprising uh, to anyone. So um, it's just a great game. It's hard to say more about it at this point. If you 
If you want to hear me, you know, talk more about it, check out my last podcast where I did my game of the year episode and gave out some other awards as well. There was uh, some controversy uh, with some of the other awards. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 got the Labor of Love <laughs> award, uh, even though it's pretty well known for Rockstar uh, isn't exactly uh, the best at you know, keeping up with their PC games, especially, or their PC ports, but really Red Dead 2 in general has been kind of lauded for its uh, multiplayer mode being pretty, like, it's gotten things and it's it's better than it was at one point, but it's never obviously taken off the way that like, Grand Theft Auto Online ever did, uh, as well as people, you know, feeling kind of scorned by the fact that we haven't gotten, uh, like, modern day patches for Red Dead 2 on the new consoles and I believe the support on PC isn't great so this is pretty widely believed to be a meme award uh, but you know what it's an award nonetheless which is what you would say about the innovation award that was awarded to Starfield as well if you've listened to me enough you know that I'm pretty sick of the trashing on Starfield and as I've said before it's not because everyone has to like it. I know it's a flawed game. I've talked about that probably more than I've talked about um, how good I think it is. But I just, I, I think it's a game that for me was like an eight, eight and a half out of 10. For most people is rolling in at like a six and a half to seven out of 10. Uh, but it's being talked about like it's like a two out of 10. And I think that's the result of a lot of like circle jerking and just kind of like it being like fashionable to dump on it and stuff like that, which is fine. Like who cares? I suspect on the monetary side of things, they're fine with how things are going with Starfield because it's had so many players and good or bad, no matter what you think of the game, it probably did bring a lot of people to game pass. It probably sold at least some consoles, probably sold a lot of PC hardware as well. And um, it's a game that I think if you pulled the actual player base, you would get people in the range of like seven to eight for the most part. But, you know, we we have a large number of people, but still probably a minority voice of people who just can't let this go, can't let this game go. And and they just hate it so bad for whatever reason they have for doing that. Um, Apparently... This award was kind of a meme on the subreddit, and so supposedly Reddit is the reason that won this award. The reaction to this was kind of funny, because if it was like a meme or whatever, like that's fine. But it also is weird that it's all the snarky stuff. Um, skill up and, you know, half of even a Digital Foundry, or not Digital Foundry, um, Gamers Nexus, I believe. Like, they, it's always this like little quip, like, <laughs> Starfield. And it's like, I get it, it's fine if you didn't like it, whatever. But like, you talk about it more than anything you like. And I'll probably, maybe I'm maybe I'm talking about people not liking it more than I've even talked about how much I like it. Maybe I'm being a hypocrite. Um, but I'm just, I just want people to forget Starfield exists, let the people who like it enjoy it, and just move on. We need a game to come out. We need like Suicide Squad to come out. So people can dump on it, even though I think it actually looks kind of good. But anyways, uh, the Steam Awards seem like they got it right with Game of the Year. It seems like some of the other uh, uh, selections may not have been so pure of heart. 
Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty, the DLC, has sold over 5 million copies. Um, cool. Good. I know most of the people I've interacted with or listened to who have played this DLC just can't stop giving it its praises. And that's great. That's really cool, honestly. Um, even as someone who has been pretty vocal about being skeptical of CDPR in general and especially of kind of in the way that Starfield I think has been kind of drug for fun and I think the kind of environment has caused the perception of that game to be a lot worse than it probably should be um, I definitely feel the same way about Cyberpunk in the opposite way um, I really feel like obviously I'll never get these numbers but I'd be willing to bet that uh, the PR and marketing budget for CDPR post release for Cyberpunk uh, has been bigger than the, the development budget. It, it's just, it seems like there's been a very clear and concise um, kind of uh, campaign to, to build this game's reputation back up. Um, I've played the 2.0 update. Um, I've played it pretty extensively and it is better. Like there's no doubt that Cyberpunk today is a good game where when it released, it was a pr kind of a bad game. And and the problem is it's kind of like the, the uh, Mass Effect Andromeda problem. Uh, whenever Mass Effect Andromeda fans or people who like that game uh, talk about the criticism it's gotten, they're always like, well, it just had some bugs when it came out, but it was actually a really good game. People just get stuck on the bugs. It's the exact same thing you hear from cyberpunk fans, uh, or at least like apologists or whatever you want to call them, where Andromeda and cyberpunk had and still do have issues with being the games they were meant to be. Uh, the legacy of Mass Effect and just the promise or the advertising or the whatever you want to call it of cyberpunk. Um, it was meant to be this like really in-depth like RPG genre defining game and it's like okay. It, it has a great story, main story. It has some fun stuff to do. It's got some insane attention to detail in some areas. It has lots of great stuff going on and it has improved. But where you see people talking about Cyberpunk as like a 9 or 10 out of 10 game now, I, maybe I'm biased, maybe this is my Starfield rage coming out, I think it's like a solid 7, 7.5 as, as a full experience. It's still a mile wide and an inch deep. Like it's just, um, it's a game that kind of how I talked about with Starfield, it could have used 50 planets instead of over a thousand or whatever the number is. You know, Cyberpunk really could have used probably a more linear way of presenting that story if you if you look at the open world of, of cyberpunk it's fine it, to me I, I would argue it's basically an ubisoft game when it comes to the non main story stuff um and it's i've made the argument before that cyberpunk probably would have been better off as being a like linear more linear story-based game that maybe had some other stuff you could do but didn't try to be the genre defining thing if they would have just really focused on that main quest and made that the focus of the game and kind of pushed you down that and made the other stuff available but maybe didn't try to make it like that kind of game a like grand theft auto or whatever i think it would have been better off now it sold like 15 million copies in the first like three months or whatever it was out obviously i'm an idiot and they aren't going to change anything that they're doing i um, they will make the same mistakes in the next cyberpunk game as they did in this one 
I, I bet it comes out in better technical shape. You know, the, they, they won't make a, a lot of the mistakes again, but they will make the same mistakes again when it comes to the type of game they're going to make where it's not going to do all the things that it probably should do. They're going to try to do everything. Um, and maybe they can pull it off. You know, I, this is a thing where I hope I'm wrong. Um, but I just, um, I'm not as mystified by either the PR or just the people's true excitement for this game. Now. Um, I think cyberpunk's a good game and, um, I'm surprised it gets the praise it gets, uh, but it doesn't really matter what I think. It's very successful and uh, good for them. Good for those devs. I don't blame the devs. Devs work real hard. They don't make the decisions that I'm mad about. So I'm happy that they are getting that recognition. And then the final story, a very quick one. Uh, if you want a indication of the state of uh, games journalism, and the struggles they're having, uh, whether it's people getting laid off or entire journalism, you know, like entire websites and stuff getting shut down. Hard Drive, which is a, it's a little clickbaity, but I think it's puts out some good articles. Um, but it's like a like corporate backed, you know, gaming news website uh, has a Patreon now. So if you want to support them, you can join their Patreon. No hate on that. I have a Patreon, but people like me are the ones who should have Patreons. Uh, probably not publications that have like, or should have ads and all kinds of other ways to sustain their business, um, especially to have a clickbaity website. Uh, weird. I I think all the people think that gaming is going to have a, a, a bubble burst. Um, I don't. I, I think that we may see a plateau. Maybe we may see growth slow down for the gaming industry as a whole. I think that we're going to see all kinds of problems with gaming journalism, uh, websites and, and groups and stuff like that. I, I think, you know, it's been a bad year for that. I think it's probably going to get worse because, um, and I've talked about this before. This is a personal rant, so don't take me too seriously. I think if you look at the journalists uh, who are in the gaming industry, um, even if you don't personally like them, um, that have been around for like 10, 15, 20 years, you see people who went to be a journalist in college or who, who, who wrote for papers when they were younger, who came up through the more traditional business. And while I understand that's going away and the current generation can't do that, what you're seeing now is that even like IGN and GameSpot and a bunch of these like, you know, pretty well-renowned companies that at one point were like relatively serious uh, journalist, uh, you know, places uh, of work. Basically now the reviews are all done by like content creators, people like me, um, but the, the people who are better at it, right? But what you notice and what I've noticed a lot is that like IGN's really bad for it they still have some like old school, like actual journalists who can write actual like researched and factual articles, but a lot of their content, especially video content, but even some of their written content is obviously done by people who just have opinions um, and, and aren't doing research, aren't doing interviews, aren't trying to be objective about anything. They're just giving their subjective opinions, which is fine sometimes. That's why you have editorials and things like that. Uh, but I, I think a big issue a lot of these websites are having is that people like 
like the entertainment side is fun, but it only goes so far. And it, at least in my experience, always kind of burns out eventually. Um, I, I think that I've spoken about like Jeff Grubb and his journey where he was at games beat, which is a, you know, a journalist website. It's a journalism source. It's a gaming review and news website. Um, and his transition to giant bomb, which like kind of dances around like they're journalists, but they're not, they're content creators. And you can, you know, if you paid attention to him, you can see that he's shifted from being a journalist, someone who reports on games and has insider info and stuff. And you've seen him become someone who has gotten quite clickbaity and quite, um, overdramatic about some of their opinions and the way they act about things because he's at an entertainment business now that giant bomb is not a, you know, it's not a, a, a place of journalism. It's a place of entertainment where people give hot takes and say sensational things and try to get people upset so they can, you know, they get clicks and that's fine. But I just think when you see these websites falling apart and you see these magazines and so on and so forth falling apart, I, I think it's because the quality is dropping, but that's just me. Maybe I'm scorned. Jumping into some listener questions. If you have your own question or topic or whatever you want me to talk about uh, for next week, please ask in the discord uh, in the YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter over at, at Bondiesel or at the bonfire. First set of questions here is from the consistent and very lovely master prime 901 uh first question is what is uh, your favorite indie game soundtrack haven not even gonna hesitate uh from 2019 i think it was my game of the year um definitely not anyone else's probably um it was this really fun game that in my opinion uh showed an in-game relationship between two people that was obviously like fantasy and stuff like that but some of the small interactions and the, and the conflicts they had um, I thought were written really well and written like real people and that and that really attracted me to that part of the game the actual gameplay was a lot of fun especially the traversal of the world was so fun the combat wasn't really my thing but it was fine um, but the soundtrack to Haven uh, is just so good like there's two or three songs still from that soundtrack i listen to often because they're just so they're just so good and the artist who did it and i'm losing i can't remember off the top of my head is known for their like electronic music and you know they're like a pretty well-renowned person but their work on haven was just so good loved it uh second question is what franchise would you like to come back this year it's probably going to get announced Monday, so maybe even before you hear this. Um, NCAA college football is supposedly coming back, and it, the rumors have been that EA and, uh, oh, who's their studio that makes it? Uh, they've got the Shark logo. You can tell me in the comments. Um, supposedly, they're making a genuine effort for this college football game to not just be Madden with college teams. Um, historically, the college football game has had these, like it's basically an RPG. You can play in these dynasty modes where you play as a coach or as a freshman player, as a 18 year old coming right into college. And you can build up your 
stats and if you if you if you do the player thing the dynasty you like build up your stats you focus on certain areas you can do practice to improve your stats and you want to work your way up to the starter on the team and then eventually to like getting drafted to the nfl and you know so on and so forth where on the coaching side you know you hopefully don't leave after four years or three years um, you know, it, it's meant to maybe you start off as a small team that's not very good, and you build them up, and then uh, and by and to build them up, you do recruiting, you uh, give pitches to certain players that may work for them. You maybe you promise players playing time when they're freshmen uh, who are really good who may not pick your school normally, but you're going to give them attention immediately, so maybe they will come. But you better fulfill that promise, or they'll transfer out next year. Um, it, it's an RPG for sure. You improve your team and the individual players by having them do skills competitions and tests and practices. And, and then in the games, you take your team that you've improved as much as you can and try to win games. And then you do that year after year after year. And maybe your team gets more respect and gets more important games, gets on TV more often. That's a stat too. Uh, your, your team sells more tickets and sells more merch and you can afford better facilities for your team. Or maybe a big school recruits you to leave your school and go coach their team. And now you get all of that fancy stuff already. And you start off with the really good players, but then there's high expectations for those teams. And it, what people don't realize in the, in the Madden dynasty has kind of done a little bit of this, but there was just something special about the college game uh, because it was amateur players and things like that. And because you know, like in in the Madden game, you may, if you have a franchise quarterback, you may have the same quarterback for 10 years and that for 10 seasons or more, where in the college football game, you, most of your players are only going to be your starters for one or two years. And so you're constantly trying to re, you know, reimagine your strategy and the way you play and, or you set your strategy and the way you want to play. And you have to try to find players that fit that way of playing. It's, I'm really excited about NCAA college football coming back and, and I hope that they fulfill the promise they've made uh, for it not just to be Madden with college teams. Uh, then my favorite DLC or expansion. <sighs> That's hard. I think it would probably be either Warlords of New York with the Division 2 because they just did such a good job of, of like showing us a summer version of New York in that franchise and that engine in that world uh, was just really, really cool. And the arrival DLC in Mass Effect 2. Um, it's not even that great. Like, it's fine. But to me, I actually don't like the suicide mission in Mass Effect 2. Um, I think once you've played it and you know how it works, it loses all of its excitement. And to this day, whenever I play Mass Effect 2, I consider Arrival the true ending. Um, I, at the end of the suicide mission, I'm always like, okay. But I always save Arrival for the end of the game, for the very last thing I do. And it always, especially that final, that final part of the mission, always feels to me just very grand and very cool. Um, I, I have seen that there can be some fairly significant differences in what happens uh, at the you know, in Mass Effect 3, or at least somewhat significant. If you don't do that mission yourself, some of the details change. And I would definitely be curious to, um, to experience that. So maybe on my next playthrough, 
I'll leave my baby behind and not do it. But yeah, those are probably my favorite ones so far. And then I did have another question uh, from, I always mess this up. I'm going to say three Eskimo. <laughs> um, it says, uh, my backlog and pile of shame has become excessive after this year of great games. What do you have in your backlog and what uh, that you hope to get to this year? A bunch of stuff from last year. I still need to finish Alan Wake 2. Um, I really want to play. Um, oh, there's a few games I, I wanted to get at. The, the big issue I have is that, like right now, I'm not excited for anything and everything I already have, I'm just like lukewarm on. And so I'm playing Escape from Tarkov right now. Basically always. As soon as I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to play Escape from Tarkov. Um, because it's my like twice a year obsession game where I'll obsess over it for a few weeks and then I'll bounce off on someone else. But with us not having any real dates for games I'm excited for this year, this is the perfect time for me to hit my backlog. Um, and I just haven't done it. I want to replay star Wars survivor, uh, cause I really love that game. I want to replay Starfield. I'm, I'm waiting for DLC and for, um, their creation kit to come out. So we see some like really legit mods, uh, not the kind of, you know, busted ones that we're seeing right now. Um, yeah, uh, more than at least a handful of games that I've missed that I really want to get into and play and finish. Um, and this is why I should be doing that, but I'm not. So, um, I suspect this year is going to be kind of slower in general when it comes to gaming. Um, so I think there's going to be plenty of time for when I get sick of Tarkov, uh, that there won't be new stuff to play quite uh, all the time like there was this year and um, I, I, I'll i try to finish some stuff up there so uh, if you happen to listen uh, in the comments uh, on YouTube or uh, on, on Twitter or in the Discord uh, let me know what your uh, backlog is looking like and that goes to anyone who's listening so let me know what your uh, pile of shame consists of thank you both for those questions and now we're going to wrap this thing up once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please consider participating in the next one by submitting a question or comment in the Discord or in the Google form or on my Twitter or in the YouTube comments, wherever. You can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel, including over on Twitch and on YouTube. You can see my other content or find ways to support everything I do by checking out the link in the description of this show. And that's all I have for this one. So until next time.